Welcome to Faith Across Borders. I'm your host, Graeme Joseph Hill. Faith Across Borders is a podcast that is catalyzing innovative Christian faith through global conversations and local initiatives. Each week we bring you insightful conversations with experts, leaders and visionaries around the world who bring new perspectives in growing your faith in your spiritual journey. Today's guest is Laman Senna, former D. Willis James Professor of Missions and World Christianity at Yale Divinity School and the author of numerous award-winning books on world Christianity and the relationship between Christianity and Islam. For sponsorship inquiries, please email faithacrossborders at gmail.com. Please stay tuned. You're a professor at Yale Divinity School. Can you tell us something about your role at this university and seminary? Uh, I have three appointments at Yale. Um, I have um, Professor of World Christianity and Mission uh, here at the Div School. <clears throat> I'm also a Professor of History at uh, Yale University, so I teach undergraduates. Mm. And I'm also a Professor of uh, International Area Studies in the Macmillan Center. Mm. Uh, three appointments, but one paycheck. Yes. Uh, it uh, harkens back to the days when at Yale professors taught for the privilege and the honor of teaching at Yale. Um, yes. I teach for the paycheck. Yes. When did you uh, decide that you wanted to get into education in this area? Um, it was really while I was teaching at Aberdeen University mm. in Scotland, um, where I was teaching in Islamic studies, which was my mm. appointment. And my colleagues asked me to teach courses in African Christianity. Mm. I protested, but they wore me down, so I agreed. Um, because a colleague, Aidan Hastings, was going to be away on sabbatical, and Harold Turner um, from New Zealand had retired. And so I did some reading, six months of research, and in the process, I discovered things I never expected to discover. Uh, so that I stumbled on the theme of um, the engine of the missionary movement being the translation movement, the translation mm -hmm. of the Bible into the vernacular, and the development of the vernacular with grammars and dictionaries. Mm -hmm. um, and in that way, I saw immediately that Christianity in mission was invested mm -hmm. um, in the development of indigenous cultures. Mm. That was never my expectation when I started. Mm. Now, you've written quite a lot on post-colonial theology yeah. and also on the shift from the global north to the global south, if, if you want to use those terms. Can you tell us something about what post-colonial thought and theology is and also what is the shift that has happened to the majority world today? Well, post-colonial, in my uh, language, means the era, the period, following the end of colonial rule. Um, and I use it to indicate that there seems to be a stream, a current, um, mm -hmm. two currents, in fact, that are interacting uh, and flowing in different directions. One is the withdrawal of colonial powers from colonial territories. And the other is the surge uh, of conversion to Christianity. Um, and this uh, current of Christian conversion I found really surprising mm. and 
I began to think that it must be because within Christianity itself, the mission uh, of the church, seeds were planted that took time to germinate. Mm. And when they did, it really didn't matter. In fact, it was helpful that the colonial mm. impediment was no longer there to obstruct yeah. the growth of Christianity. Mm. That's exactly what happened. I lived in Nigeria at the time, mm. in the 60s. And in Nigeria, there were probably um, eight million Christians altogether in all the denominations, Catholic, mm. Anglican, Methodist. But today, the Anglicans mm. alone, the Church of England, uh, followers in Nigeria, number about 18, 19 million. Mm. Um, Methodists are not too far behind. So the real growth of Christianity in Nigeria happened to coincide with the era following the end of colonial rule. Mm. And so post-colonial mm. for me is not a, an ideological description, it's a historical mm. marker mm. Uh, of the transition from the colonial and the missionary era to the period when Christianity became actually effective on the ground. Mm. When you look at the explosive growth of the church in Africa today, what do you think are some of the reasons why that has happened? Um, well, to simplify um, the answer to that question, there is almost an overlap between areas of high Christian impact and areas of the growth of the development of the vernacular. Mm almost necessarily so, mm. or put it another way, rather striking. Mm. Um, where people have lost the indigenous name for God in Africa, there the conversion to Christianity has been minimal. Mm. Yeah. It's only areas where the indigenous name for God has been preserved and where the scriptures are available in the vernacular, in the mother tongue, mm. that we see the greatest impact of Christianity. Mm. The other reason, I think, for the growth and expansion is that the colonial impediment, or you might say the colonial embarrassment, got out of the way. And so indigenous agency, coupled with the vernacular Bible, helped to give the impetus to the growth and expansion of Christianity. Mm. When you look at the Church of Africa today, what do you think are the key things that it can teach the churches of the West? Um, in my thinking, I think of the mission of the church as being transnational, universal, and across all time and space. Mm. I see Christianity creating communities of believers whose faithfulness to the gospel takes precedence over their ethnicity Mm. their race and their nationality. Mm. And so when I think of what is it that the churches in Africa can teach mm. the West, I think essentially of partnership and mutual respect and mutual mm. um, help uh, in the mission of God, which is a mission entrusted to all believers, to the church and to the members of the church. What do you think are some practical ways that Christians in the West can partner with, collaborate with, not only African, but other churches in the majority world today? Well, there should be reciprocity. Um, Christianity in the West has been in decline, if not numerically, certainly in influence. 
um, Christianity as a religion has been sidelined uh, mm. in the West. But the West is still endowed with enormous resources. Mm. Um, it has the intellectual capital, it has mm. the social capital, the great universities, great libraries, great theology, great cathedrals, great mm. music, um, fantastic art. Uh, I just came from London um, where I went to the National Gallery and it's really fascinating to track with the help of professor from King's College London, um, the Christian theme that runs through Western art. Mm. Uh, it's quite remarkable. Um, in Africa and elsewhere, we haven't acquired those assets yet, but we have living monuments who, as testaments mm. to the Christian faith. Mm. Um, believers uh, across all cultures, all races, mm. all classes, and it seems to me that the momentum, the surge, the energy, the impetus of confidence in the gospel, which the West mm. seems to lack, but which has been uh, very evident uh, in the third world, what you call the majority world, um, that this impetus could actually help the West to recover uh, theistic faith and to adjust its rather painful compact with secularism mm. in which Western theology and Western Christianity um, became co-opted mm. uh, into Western cultural mm. uh, prevailing uh, norms and ending with the cultural captivity of the gospel. Mm. And maybe this partnership can help the West uh, retrieve, recover uh, mm. this ancient heritage mm. that has meant so much to the rest of the world. Mm. When you see parts of the majority world getting wealthier and many young people in parts of the majority world becoming part of a global society, do you think that secularism will offer real challenges for the churches of the global south as well in the future? Um, secularism, we should understand, is actually is a neutral value. It doesn't come itself loaded with norms and prescriptions about how to live one's life. Uh, what are the values worth living for? How do we take care of one another? Uh, we should remember that the United States, when it started out as a young republic, um, setting up uh, an experiment in democracy, reflected on the legacy of the Greeks, of the philosophers. Mm. And Jefferson uh, wrote uh, very clearly that the philosophers had much to offer us, but there was something more that should make America a success that philosophy and the Western secular tradition could not provide. Mm. Uh, and that really has to do with faith and confidence mm. in God's mind for, for life and for our, for our position as partners, co-workers with mm. God, uh, in taking care of one another. And it seems mm. to me, therefore, that secularism comes begging for, for faith uh, mm. in something bigger and better uh, than just acquiring money. Um, because that only means that those who have money uh, can take care of themselves, but taking care of yourself in a society that is in shambles or in disarray, mm. ultimately self-defeating. Mm. Um, and this is why faith is so critical, uh, even to secular values. Mm. 
One of the big challenges for the church today is how it relates to other religions. And there's been a lot of press, of course, about uh, Islam. How do you think that the churches of the majority world are relating to Islam today? What are some lessons that we might be able to learn from them in those relationships? What do you see happening? Well, my view is that the challenge of interfaith relations is fundamentally a theological challenge. Mm. What kind of God do we believe in? Is it God of mercy, God of love? For Christians, it's a God who is involved in a historical breakthrough of reconciliation, a God who saves, who redeems, who reconciles, uh, who forgives. And to pursue the mission of this God uh, requires Christians um, to be in faithful and positive engagement with Muslims across the interfaith divide. Mm. Um, In Africa, relations between Muslims and Christians going back over a hundred years have been actually very important for both sides, for both Muslims Mm. and Christians. Most Muslim leaders in modern Africa were educated in Christian schools, Mm. even when they had the option of government schools. Mm. Uh, Muslim parents opted to send their children to Christian schools. In many places in Africa, families are interfaith. They're both Muslims and Christians living together um, within the same family. Um, I think the political challenge for Islam is how to be religious without demanding a role for government or the state in promoting and advancing religious claims. Mm. Um, So the role of persuasion, what we would call the role of civil society, um, Mm. the Islamization or the Christianization of society should not be a department of the government or an office of the state, Mm. but should really be an outflow of the faithful witness of believers, both Muslim and Christian. Mm. And this will avoid then the danger of the Islamization of the state uh, and the production of a radical ideology uh, Mm. of hatred, of of, uh, intolerance uh, and of mistrust. There's been a lot written recently about the mission of the church and what it might mean to be missional in Western settings. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in what the churches of the majority world, the churches of Africa, can help us understand about what is the mission of the church and how does the church pursue that mission? Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, in my view, the mission of the church is to bear witness to Christ. And in bearing witness to Christ, to deal with the challenges we face in alternative forms of identity that are quite destructive because they are divisive, uh, including sometimes religious uh, uh, identities. But the mission of Christ is to overcome these divisions uh, and to bring healing and hope, uh, generosity and honor Uh, to the God who Christians um, know through Christ. Mm. Uh, And I think that religious core is absolutely fundamental to the identity and the credibility of the church as a divine institution. Mm. 
What do you think is most misunderstood about the majority world church today? The most misunderstood um, aspect of the majority, or call majority church, I don't like the word majority church. What, what but, term would you prefer to use? Um, I would call the third world. The third world, yeah. yeah uh, for, for theological reasons, yeah. uh, rather than statistical or economical yeah. reasons, or even industrial reasons. I think the most um, fundamental misunderstanding of the church in the third world is a kind of secular or liberal misunderstanding of the church. Um, it's very easy for a cleavage to develop in the minds of critics in the West about the church in Africa and Asia being conservative and intolerant. Um, and this assumes that the church has power uh, to define society. I do not think that most churches in Africa and Asia really think of creating a theocracy. Um, they don't have the power, they don't have the inclination, they certainly don't have the theology or the, the resources to do that. Most churches in the third world want a neutral state that is balanced in its relationship with religious communities, that is not anti-religious, doesn't favor one religion over another, and to that extent, I would have thought that the liberal West would welcome mm. uh, that kind of development. Um, so the secular understanding or misunderstanding of the church in the third world, I think does really um, disservice um, to where the church is in society and in history. But I think it diminishes um, the prospects, the potential of Western partnership and collaboration with the churches to advance human rights, especially the education and the advancement of women uh, in these societies. I've asked you what's most misunderstood about the majority world church. What do you think is most misunderstood about your writings? Anything? Again, uh, I haven't really come across much. I've come across a lot of misinterpretation mm. Uh, on what I'm saying or not saying. Um, uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, my memoir, uh, published recently, um, was reviewed in one place where the reviewer uh, went into the review with the idea that because I am a convert from Islam, there must be uh, a kind of anti-Islamic mm. uh, feeling in my mm. in my writing so mm. he accuses me of islamophobia oh. well actually there's nothing in the memoir that says anything uh, negative about islam mm. if i've said anything critical it's actually about christianity and against christianity mm. and secondly many of my muslim friends actually welcome my memoir mm. as a statement um, of the understanding of religion that they deeply covet mm. for Islam mm. themselves. Mm. And so that's that's one example. Yeah. It's as if people have not read my book, they just make an assumption that I would be coming at it from an angle that they would like to criticize. Mm. So they, they need a foil, they need an object uh, to attack for their own purposes. Mm. So that doesn't really worry me too much. Mm. Um, but I do think that 
One area of difficulty for Western readers for my work on mission and translation of the Bible and culture, gospel and culture, is the Western reluctance to abandon culture as a normative criterion of truth of the gospel, which is founded on the idea that the more uh, advanced we are, the more money we have, the wealthier we are, the more lavish a wardrobe we have, the more educated we are, the more we can grasp the mind of God. Mm. And therefore, the closer mm. we are to what God wants. Mm. But the poorer you are, the less you have mm. in the world, the less mm. educated you are, the less you have access to the mind of God. This is the mm. cultural divide. Yes. Uh, that culture for the West is the key uh, to faithful Christian life. And since the churches in Africa and Asia have less of that than the West, mm. They must be less privileged. They must be less. Uh, uh, they must be more disadvantaged vis-à-vis uh, -vis access to the mind of God. Mm. And my writings are actually a challenge to that understanding of the gospel, mm. um, because I say if that was the case, Jesus died at a very early age, so he didn't have longevity. I don't think he lived in a culture of silent plumbing, of electricity, of mm. the internet of payroads, um, of vehicles and transportation systems that are the envy of the world. He never mm -hmm. lived in that kind of world, nor did the prophets of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And by the way, for the secular West, they should remind themselves that neither did Plato, nor Aristotle, nor Socrates lived in that kind of yes. society. But we do not abandon, we do not overthrow their teachings on the basis that they were not modernized, they were not educated, they didn't have good sanitation, they didn't have mm. good electricity, and so forth and so on. But I think mm. the cultural captivity of the gospel in mm. the West is a serious problem for Christianity. Mm. Is there anything else that you wanted to say to us today? I think the encounter with radical Islam, for me, with extremist uh, violence uh, in the Muslim world, um, is a reminder, a wake-up call to the West that the theological underpinning of the value system of the world uh, remains underexplored and underappreciated by a secular West. Mm. And we ignore this problem, this challenge, um, at our uh, peril. Mm. Um, and I do a lot of work trying to interpret the mind of the Muslim world to the West mm. and vice versa. Mm. Uh, but I must say that in recent years, I've become a little concerned, uh, a little um, jostled by the lack of urgency, the sense of urgency uh, in the West about the religious nature of the challenge we face. We mm. think in the West that we can meet the challenge of Islam, of radical Islam, that is, with economic measures, with military measures, uh, with political alliances. but. I'm, I'm not convinced that that will mm. actually solve the mm. problem or meet the challenge we face. Mm. And how would you suggest that Christian leaders today become more informed about these challenges and a preferred constructive response? 
The best way to understand the Muslim mind, in my view, uh, is to be absolutely certain and clear about the core values of the gospel, the core values of the West. Um, respect for life, <clears throat> respect for women, uh, equal education for boys and girls, care for the orphan, for the sick, for the outcast, for the stranger. Um, these ideas of civic righteousness, which are grounded in civil society, mm. not in government initiatives, um, these values are key to who we are as a people. Mm. And they also remain our values, even if people disagree. We have a lot to contribute to the world. We have a lot to share with the Muslims, but they will respect us only if we respect ourselves. Mm. I give you one example. Um, there's been a lot of criticism of the attempt by some Christian institutions to give space to Muslims to make the call to the prayer. Now, Muslims, for their part, say, we have not asked for that concession from the Christians because we cannot reciprocate. Mm -hmm. We cannot ask you, Christians, um, to come to the mosque and for you to make your uh, appeal for worship from our mosques. Mm. We cannot reciprocate. We cannot mm. give you that privilege. Mm. So why give us something we don't want, we never asked you for, in order for you to demonstrate that you're really on our side? We, we don't doubt that you're on our side, but you don't have to give up who you are in mm. order to be our friends. Mm. Why? Well, because we are afraid, Muslims are speaking or thinking, we're afraid that down the line, you will ask us Muslims to give up something that is dear to us, that is particular to us, uh, in the interest of interfaith relationship. Mm. And that's a kind of false solidarity, mm. and we don't want that. Mm. Lennon Senna, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Faith Across Borders. If you want to stay connected with us and receive updates on future episodes, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Music and Spotify. You can also follow us on social media at Faith Across Borders to join the conversation and share your thoughts. Stay tuned for more engaging discussions and enlightening episodes.